0: you ever noticed that God is not in a hurry? Have you noticed that God doesn't necessarily work according to our timelines? And God always works according to his timeline. I mean, he has every right to, doesn't he? He is God, and we're not. So God can work when he wants to, how he wants to. And he knows when he wants to work. He knows how he wants to work. And he knows what he wants to do in the midst of that work. So what is our part? What is our part as followers of Jesus Christ? It's to be patient. Is to trust. It's to follow. It's to wait upon the Lord. And we do so by faith. Trusting God's sovereignty. Resting in God's providential care. Knowing that God is working even when we don't feel it. Even when we can't see it. We know that God is working to bring about His will, His purposes, and His plan. All according to His timing. Now... I'm not saying that's easy. In fact, that is one of the hardest aspects of being a Christ follower, waiting on God, resting in his timing, realizing that God doesn't always work according to the way I want him to work. And it is difficult when that happens. It involves unexpected delays and ongoing uncertainty, which none of us like. But here's the reality, church. You and I have a choice on how we respond. We can choose to respond when God's timing doesn't line up with our timing in one of two ways. We can resist it. We can fight against it. We can try to start controlling our circumstances and our situations. Or we can submit to God's leading. We can trust Him in the midst of our circumstances. Take the Apostle Paul, for example. For those of you who have been with us for several weeks, for several months actually, all the way back in April, we started a series on the book of Acts. And the last several chapters of this book has really been almost a biography of the Apostle Paul and his journey and his missionary journeys and his planting churches and all the things that the Apostle Paul has done. And back in Acts 23, if you remember, God made a promise to the Apostle Paul. And in that promise, God told Paul that you are going to go to Rome. And in Rome, you will testify about Christ. And ever since God made that promise to the Apostle Paul, guess what's happened? He's been arrested. He spent two years in prison. He's gone through trial after trial. There have been plots to kill the Apostle Paul. Now, I don't know about you. But I think if that were me, I'd be like, wait a second, God. You promised that I was going to Rome. You said that you you were going to take me to Rome, and yet now I'm sitting in prison. I've been rotting in this stinking prison for two years. Anybody else think you would respond that way? Yeah. Yeah. And Paul, I have no doubt that he was much like David in the Psalms. Go to Psalm 57, Psalm 142, and you see David wrestling with God's will. Because God had promised David as well, hadn't he? He said, you're going to be king. And yet Psalm 142 is written while David is hiding out in the cave. That's not exactly the palace of a king, is it? And so listen, church, it is okay for us to wrestle when God doesn't line up with our timing. And I have no doubt that Paul wrestled with that. And I think that's why you see throughout the book of Acts, Paul being encouraged by Christ, by God appearing to him him, and an angel appearing to him and encouraging him because he's wrestling with it. But here's one thing that Paul never does. He never doubts God's goodness. Not once do we see him doubting God's goodness. The same thing is true of David. Go read those Psalms. And the first thing David says is, God, you are good but this is hard. God, you are merciful, but this is difficult. I think we can relate to that. I think we can relate to the fact that God is merciful. God is good, but life is hard. And that's what Paul is experiencing. But Paul was able to withstand all of those false accusations. He was able to withstand all those trials, those two years in prison, the beatings that he, he went through, All the stuff that Paul had to deal with, he was able to endure it how? The same way you and I do. By trusting God's sovereignty, by resting in God's providential care, and by knowing that God is working. It's exactly the way Paul made it through all the things that he went through. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 25. We're going to be looking at two chapters today, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to go kind of quick, but uh, in Acts 25 and 26, uh, we're going to see several things. The first thing we're going to see is God's faithfulness to his promises. God always keeps his promises. We're going to see Paul's faithfulness to share the gospel. And then we're going to see some principles for you and I to be gospel carriers for you and I to be faithful witnesses just as Paul was. Now, if you've been with us, the last several chapters of Acts are kind of hard to keep up with. A lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on. And, and so let me just catch us up real quick if, you, if, you're, if you're not aware of what all we've been going through. So the Apostle Paul was told to go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem. Twelve days after being in Jerusalem, he is arrested. He stood trial before the Jewish council, and then he's then he was Uh, escorted to Caesarea by Roman guard because there was a plot to kill the Apostle Paul. So in Caesarea, he stands before another trial with the Roman governor, Felix. And that brings us to Acts 25, where we briefly see Paul address another Roman governor named Festus before his final address to King Herod Agrippa II. Now most of our time today is going to be spent looking at Paul's speech to Agrippa. It's another powerful example of the Apostle Paul sharing the gospel through his personal testimony. Because remember, church, we, like the Apostle Paul, are to be gospel carriers. We are are to proclaim the risen Christ. We are to share our faith with others and invite them to trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus saved us in order to send us. He saved us in order to send us. We are called to go and make disciples. So God saved us so that we would tell others about Jesus. And at the end of the day's message, what I want to do is I want to share several applications, several principles that teach us how to be modern-day gospel carriers, that show us how you and I, just as the Apostle Paul was, can be faithful witnesses where we live, work, and play. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's dig in to Acts 25. And in verse 1, we see immediately that Festus replaces Felix. Now, I know all these names start running together. Just know that the previous Roman governor was fired, sent back to Rome, and they replaced him with a man named Festus. Festus is on day three of his job. And he realizes immediately that the Jews are still holding a grudge against this man that's been in prison for two years named Paul. And so Festus, on his third day of the job, realizes what a hornet's nest he's jumped into. Look at verse 2. So what Festus does, he goes to Jerusalem to pay a courtesy visit. And as soon as he gets there, look what happens. The chief priest and the principal men of the Jews... They lay out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem. Why? Because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, Let your men of authority among you come down with me. And if there is anything wrong about this man, let them bring charges against him. So what I want you to see right off the bat, I want you to see God's sovereignty, God's providential care for the Apostle Paul. We've seen this over and over and over again. God continually rescuing the Apostle Paul from imminent death. They had set up this plan. They were going to ambush Paul. And so what God does is he works through Festus and says, no, Festus makes a decision. No, he's going to stay in Caesarea. I'm not bringing him to Jerusalem. Now, Festus didn't have to do that. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to see how he gave in to the Jews, and he wants to do them a favor. But in this moment, God is sovereignly working, protecting the apostle Paul. Why? Because God always keeps his promises. And so God works through this pagan ruler to say, you know what, no, I'm not going to bring him to Jerusalem. In fact, he's going to stay in Caesarea. Now once back in Caesarea, the Jews, you can read the text, they bring up these same trumped-up charges against the Apostle Paul. There's no proof to back them up. Festus at this point could have easily dismissed the charges. He could have easily just let the Apostle Paul go, but he doesn't. Why? Because he wants to do the Jews a favor. Look at verse 9. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, so think about this, church. He could have easily done them a favor by saying, you know what, yeah, bring him from Jerusalem, which would have cost Paul his life. They would have ambushed and killed him. But God keeps his promises. And so here, Festus says, wishing to do them a favor, he said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you yourself know very well if then i am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which i deserve to die i do not i do not seek to escape death but if there is nothing in these charges against me no one can give them up give me give me up to them i appeal to caesar so what happens here paul makes this appeal To Caesar. It was the right of every Roman citizen to make an appeal to the highest court. That was the court of Caesar. And so we know that Paul appeals to Caesar because he knows he's innocent. Festus knows he's innocent. Listen, even the Jews know that Paul is innocent. They've been trying for two years on these same charges that have gotten them nowhere. They know he's innocent. So, why ultimately do, do, does Paul appeal to Caesar? I think, as I've read this text over and over and over again, I think that Paul appeals to Caesar because in this moment he saw an opportunity. Paul knew God's will. God's will was for him to go to Rome, right? Paul knew that. And Paul knew his right as a Roman citizen. And so Paul seizes this opportunity and realizes in this moment, Haha, this is how God is going to get me to Rome. So I appeal to Caesar. I am going to go to Rome. I am going to testify about Jesus Christ, and the Roman government is going to pay for my trip. Isn't that great? So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see God's sovereignty, and I also want you to see man's responsibility. Listen, church, when we talk about God's sovereignty, it doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing. When we talk about the fact that God is in control of all things, that doesn't mean that you and I just sit back and say, ah, oh, you know what, whatever happens, happens. Oh, no, well, whatever happens. No, we have a responsibility. And Paul, in this moment, realizes that his responsibility is to appeal to Caesar. He realizes that in this moment, that God has created an opportunity for him to go to Caesar. So Paul, notice what God's doing. God is working in the midst of Paul's difficult circumstances, and he's working in his own timing. And then Paul recognizes it. And he acts according to God's will. So, when it comes to God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, what we do is we see opportunities before us and then we act in accordance to the will of God that we already know. Make sense? Because that's exactly what Paul does. Paul knows God has promised, he's going to Jerusalem. He knows that God is sovereign to keep that promise. He knows that God is working in his difficult circumstances to accomplish his will. And then the opportunity comes up for Paul to appeal to Caesar and he jumps on it. He says, aha, this is how God is going to do it. So I am going to act in accordance to the will of God. That's exactly what he does. So Paul appeals to Caesar. Now what happens next in this text is Festus has put himself in a difficult situation. And the reason he's put himself in a difficult situation is because the moment that Paul appealed to Caesar, Festus says, okay, to Caesar you will go. But the problem is you just can't send someone to Caesar in Rome without charges. It'd be like setting up an an appeal to the Supreme Court without any of you being charged for anything. Like, there are no charges against you. You're not guilty of anything. And yet, I'm just appealing to the Supreme Court. Are they going to hear that case? No. There's got to be charges. And so Festus has has put himself in a really bad spot. He's three days on the job. And he's already made a big blunder. Because if he sends Paul to Rome, to Caesar's court, Without any charges, Caesar's going to go, why did we put this idiot in charge? And he'll be fired just like Felix was fired. But he sees an opportunity because the man named King Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa and his sister Bernice show up. And they show up to Caesarea to pay Festus a, a courtesy visit, if you will. He's new on the job, so the king shows up to say, to welcome the governor. And that's what we see happening in the rest of chapter twenty-five, and we see that 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 this gives Festus an opportunity to tell Agrippa about the situation to get his advice. Agrippa was a was a notable politician, and so he's like, "Let me get your advice on this situation that I've gotten myself into." And I want to sum up the rest of Acts twenty-five, beginning in verse eighteen. Here's what he says. This is Festus talking to. Agrippa, and he says, when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. So, Festus is thinking, man, they must have some real dirt on this guy for them to want him to die, not to live. And so, and then he realizes they have nothing. Verse 19, rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss at how to navigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa says to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. So Festus says, tomorrow you will hear him. So again, We've talked about this before, but this is all about a theological matter. It all centers around the resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the Christian faith. Apart from the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. If you take the resurrection out of the Christian faith, you have no Christian message. But the resurrection is the whole argument. Paul believed and preached that Jesus had risen from the grave. And that is why he's on trial. So, the next day, Agrippa and his sister Bernice show up. And they show up with all these other dignitaries. They show up with all these people and they gather to hear Paul preach. They gather to hear Paul's testimony. They gather to hear his defense of these charges. And Luke says that they showed up with all this pomp and circumstance. So there, I mean, just picture this scene. You've got this tribunal set up. You've got... All these dignitaries, you've got the king, you've got his sister, you've got the governor. It says there's other military leaders, and they're all dressed in their, their royal uh, garb, and they're, they're there putting on this massive show, uh, and then they bring Paul in, which no doubt Paul was probably in ragged clothes. He's been in prison for two years. He's got chains on his wrists, but I want you to notice what Paul does. Paul seizes the opportunity. Paul seizes the opportunity. Without fear, without hesitation, Paul doesn't just give a defense. He shares the gospel. He shares the gospel before these leaders of the Roman world. And let's, I want to read, it's a longer text, but I want to read this. And I want you to listen. It's, it's very similar to other testimonies Paul has given. But I think it's good sometimes for us just to hear the story and to hear what Paul shares in his testimony. And as I read this, I want you to to, to listen to it, and I want you to pick out two distinct themes that dominate Paul's story. And that is this, Paul magnifies the cross and the resurrection. So in other words, he focuses on the gospel, and then he insists that Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. Everything that's promised in the prophets and Moses are fulfilled in Christ. So as we read through this, I want you to listen for those themes. So Agrippa says to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand, no doubt in chains, and he made his defense. He says, I consider myself fortunate that before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today. "...against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with them. You're familiar with their customs. You're familiar with the controversies controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently." And then he goes in to his defense. And he begins talking about his life before Christ. He says, "...my matter of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by the Jews." So in other words... All these guys that are accusing me, they know who I was. I was a, a, a Pharisee. Look what he says in verse 5. They have known for a long time. And if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. What is that promise? That is the promise of the Messiah. Messiah. That is the promise that God made all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, that from your seed will come an offspring, and that offspring will bring redemption, and that offspring will will save uh, humanity. He will be the Savior. He will be the Messiah. And so he is saying, listen, my faith, my trust is in that promise. Then he goes on. To which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship day and night, And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O King. He says, I believe the hope has arrived. That hope is Christ. The the, the Christ that we celebrate at Christmas is the same Christ that Paul is talking about that grew up to to die on the cross for our sins. And Paul's saying, my hope is in him. Why is it thought, listen, I love this verse, verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Why would you doubt that God has the power to raise the dead? Again, he's bringing it back to the resurrection. I myself am convinced that I ought to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus Christ, of Jesus of Nazareth. And so I did so in Jerusalem. I locked up uh, many of the saints in prison. I cast my vote when they were put to death. I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them. I persecuted them to foreign cities. So Paul is just saying, this is who I was. I was persecuting the church. I was there casting my vote so that Christians could be killed. That's who I was. But then I want you to see in verse 12. In this this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. And at midday, O king, I saw a light from heaven. Brighter than the sun that shone all around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen on the ground, and when we had fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you. Persecuting. Rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you and to this purpose to appoint you as a servant and listen and a witness to these things in which you have seen me and in those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. To God, and that they may receive the forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. So, Paul here is preaching the gospel. He's saying, Listen, I realized that it was Christ that I was persecuting, that he is Lord, and that he is sending me to proclaim and be a faithful witness to this gospel. To bring to Jews and Gentiles the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pick up verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, in Jerusalem, and throughout the region of Judea. Then I went to the Gentiles. Basically tracing everything we've studied in the book of Acts so far. And this it really says that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Verse 21. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And verse 22 says this. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here. I love this. I stand here testifying before small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Again, this is he's saying everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament has come to pass. Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. He is the Messiah. In verse twenty-three, he clarifies the gospel one more time that the Christ must suffer, and that be and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and. To the Gentiles. We'll stop right there. This we see Paul proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, when he had the opportunity to make his defense. What does he do? He goes right into his testimony. He goes right into his story. And Paul weaves his personal story with the gospel. This is a great reminder of what we see in First in Peter 3, verse 15. Where it says this, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And do so with gentleness and respect. So what is this? What happens? Paul sees the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to preach Christ and him crucified and risen from the grave. And he seizes this opportunity to declare it before King Agrippa, before Festus, before all these dignitaries. Why? Because he was was prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked. And that's exactly what Paul does. And church, you and I should be ready. In fact, we should be prepared to give a defense, to be a faithful witness, to give our testimony To share the gospel with anyone who asks. Listen, if someone asks you, why are you a Christian? Don't say, "Um, uh, why don't you come to church Sunday and let Pastor Eric tell you. No, we should be able to share that. We should be able to give a defense. We should be prepared to make a defense. So don't just be ready, but be prepared. Actually plan ahead. Think through your testimony. Think through your own story, your life before Christ, how Christ saved you, and your life after Christ, and be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks. That's exactly what Paul does. He was ready to answer them. He shares his personal story, and then he weaves three powerful truths of the gospel in the midst of his story. What is the gospel? The gospel begins all the way back in Genesis 3, 15. But I want to sum it up just real quick with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You don't have to turn there. You can just jot this down. It's not going to be on the screen. I added it this morning. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel I preach to you, which you have received and in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he says, here's the important part. Here's a first importance. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul is saying, that is the gospel that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And we see this here in verse 23 of Acts twenty-five or 26. And Christ suffered, he died. He rose from the grave, and he proclaimed light to our people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul weaves three powerful truths in his testimony about the gospel. And that is this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. The resurrection of Christ changes everything, folks. Apart from the resurrection, our faith is in vain. And then he says, through the gospel, God had the power to change me. And through the gospel, God has the power to change you. That's what he weaves through his testimony, through his story. He lays out the gospel and says, listen, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes me and it has the power to change you. Look at verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, are you out of your mind? Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. In other words, you are, you've gone crazy. You've lost your ever-loving mind if you think we're going to just place our faith in this Christ. And look what, what goes on. For the king knows, or Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about all these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. look Look at verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? In other words, Paul, I'm not giving my life to Christ. I'm not going to become a Christian. But then Paul says this, whether short or whether long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become as I am, except for these chains. Paul saying, King Agrippa, I don't only desire for you to know Christ, I desire that every single person listening to my words would know Christ. My prayer, King Agrippa, is that you, Festus, Bernice, everybody would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would understand the gospel. They would understand that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection in the gospel has changed me, and it has the power to change you. That's what Paul shares with King Agrippa, and he makes a direct appeal to every single person listening, to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, they all reject the gospel. But I do want us to, to conclude our time today looking at several applications from this text. I know this was a long, you had to listen to me read a long passage of Scripture. But I do want to come back, and I want us to talk about some applications from this text, because I do believe that there are several things that we see Over and over again in this text, and and that show us how to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ where we live, where we work, and where we play. So I'm just going to put them all on the screen right here, and I will walk through them real quick. And we'll leave it up there at the end if you need to take a picture or can't see it. If you're sitting on this side, I apologize. First thing is address unbelievers respectfully. If you want to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ, respect unbelievers. address unbelievers respectfully think about Paul's situation Paul has been unjustly treated he's been in prison for for two years he could have easily been angry but yet what does he do he speaks with gentleness and respect reminds us of what Peter said right yet do it with gentleness and respect that's exactly what Paul does Paul addresses them gently with respect Listen, when we share the gospel, church, when we are faithful witnesses, we must blend truthfulness with tenderness and courage with compassion. When we share the gospel, we don't stop telling the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We don't soften the truth. We don't water down the truth when we're a faithful witness. But we do so with tenderness. We do so with gentleness. We do so with respect and compassion for those that are hearing. Second thing we see Paul doing, he exalts Jesus, not himself. Jesus is the hero of Paul's story. Not all the churches Paul planted, not the fact that he was a Pharisee, not his Damascus Road experience. No, Jesus is the hero of Paul's story. Jesus is the hero of your story. Listen, when we share the gospel, we need to be transparent. Just as Paul shared about his life before Christ, he was transparent about it. He said, man, I was the strictest in the religion as I possibly could. I was as legalistic as, I, as anyone could have been. I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And yet, Paul uses that opportunity to exalt Christ, not himself. See, I think so many times when we share our testimony, we focus too much on ourselves and our story. Listen, people don't care what a lousy sinner you were. They want to know the Savior that is able to save you. Now, that doesn't mean we don't share the fact that we were sinners. That doesn't mean that we don't share about our past. We should. It helps us identify with people that are lost, people that don't know Christ. But listen, the focus is on our loving Savior, not the fact that we are all lousy sinners. So we need to exalt Jesus, not ourselves. Third thing is this. We need to share the benefit for, or the need for, and the benefit of the gospel. Notice throughout Paul's speech, he continues to come back to the grace of God. He continues to come back for Jesus' love towards sinners. The fact that God would rescue and bring light, transfer from Satan to God, from darkness to light. You see this over and over and over again. It's the need for the gospel. So we must share man's sinful condition, that we are all sinners, that none of us can save ourselves, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are condemned to wrath, to the wrath of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, we will be separated from God for all eternity. Why? Because of our sin. Because you and I are sinful. And so we must, preach and teach the sinfulness of mankind. But we also must preach and teach the amazing grace of Jesus Christ towards sinners. That God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we preach, the need for and the benefit of the gospel. But notice also Paul focuses on the resurrection and a call to repentance. Paul emphasized that Jesus suffered, that he died, and that he rose from the grave. Listen, if you're ever sharing your faith and sharing your story, and someone says, Hey, what is the hope that you have? Why, why do you have so much joy at work? Like, why are you different from everybody else in our school? Why, why, why are you, your, why is your marriage or your family so much different than our other neighbors? And you have an opportunity to share the hope that you have in Christ, and you're like, I don't know where to start. Do like Paul. Start somewhere and talk about the cross. Then go to the resurrection and then have a call for repentance and faith. It's exactly what Paul does. Verse 23, that Christ must suffer, he rose from the grave, and brings light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Fifth thing is this, rely on God's help. Here's what I want you to know. This is such good news, that we are not alone. As being a faithful witness, you're not alone. You don't have to go out and share on your own. Why? Because Christ is with you. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always. Paul understood this. That's why he was able to rely on God's help. He was able to rely on the help of God. We, we need help in sharing the gospel. And we have help in sharing the gospel. And it is the Christ who is never who never forsakes us and never leaves us. But also, and I think this may be one of the most difficult things, that we need to be prepared for rejection. I mean, you think about Paul's gospel presentation here kind of a bust like nobody believed nobody placed their faith in christ that we know of you think well that was a failure no no listen church our calling is to share the gospel our calling is to proclaim the good news of the gospel our calling is not to convert anyone that's god's job that's the job of the holy spirit The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts people of sin, not us. I can't convince a single person to become a Christian. I can give a compelling case. I can talk about the fact of the the truth of the gospel. But I can't argue anyone into heaven. That's why we must be prepared. But at the same time, we need to know what our role is and what God's role is. Our role is to preach and teach the gospel. Our role is to share the gospel faithfully. Knowing that, that the gospel demands a response. People are either going to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins, that he rose again three days later for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, so that they can have eternal life, or they're going to reject it. Just as Festus and Agrippa rejected it here, in Acts 26. Our job is to present it, to preach it, to teach it, to deliver the message, to carry the gospel. It is God's role to convert. It is God's role to bring about the results. So what Paul does in Acts 26 is not a failure because no one believed. He is fulfilling the call to go and make disciples, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, as Romans 15 talks about. That's what he's done. And the final thing is that we need to pray for the people you share the gospel with. Notice at the very end of this text, he said, Paul says, I, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me believe. In other words, Paul said, my prayer is that not just you, King Agrippa, Not just you, Festus, but every single person that is listening to me this day. Every single one of you would believe. That is my prayer. So church, we must prayerfully be desiring that everyone come to know Christ. Everyone we come in contact with, from our neighbors, from our family members, to our coworkers, we need to be earnestly, faithfully, consistently praying for them. praying that they too would know Christ. And in this picture, we see Paul has such a heart of compassion for these people that he's sharing with. He doesn't view them as projects. He views them as sinners that are separated from God, that apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity separated from God in hell. And it breaks Paul's heart for them, and he he even says in in uh, I think in Romans nine he said, "Listen, if I could give up my salvation for the sake of my own people, I would do it." That's how that's how much he longed for people to come to know Jesus Christ. So we need to shoot, to, to view every single person we come in contact with as someone in need of a savior. Someone in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them and we need to pray for those that we have the opportunity to share the gospel with. So may God help us. May He help us to make His grace known to this broken world that we live in. May He help us proclaim the truth of the gospel. May He help us Be faithful witnesses where we live, where we work, where we play. Listen, folks, the same grace that changed Paul is the same grace that changed me, and it is the same grace that can change every single person that we share the gospel with. Let's pray. We're going to do something a little different. I want to close our time this morning giving you an opportunity to pray. Just as Paul prayed for those that he shared the gospel with, and he prayed for opportunities to share the gospel, I want to give you an opportunity to do that uh, this morning. As we go into this Christmas season, as we go into this time uh, of, of everything centering around the manger, everything centering around Christ, and, and we have opportunities to share the hope that we have. There's going to be opportunities that God's going to give us to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And so what I want us to do is I want you at your table. I'm just going to guide us through some things to pray for.